Welcome to the Crime Lab Safety Department. I'm your host, Colin Absherbear. Imagine driving your car on your way to work. You're sipping your morning coffee. The radio plays in the background. You tap your thumb against the steering wheel. Traffic starts to slow down and you start to pump your brakes and then all of a sudden you start to skid and you grab for your seatbelt and you realize it isn't there. I am, of course, talking about Sandy the seatbelt remover, notorious deconstructor of vehicular safety. Convicted in 22 states, found guilty in two of them. I'm recording on site this morning in the Iowa State Prison and had the privilege of sitting down with Sandy. Sandy, how did you get into this line of crime? Come on, dude. I'm done, dude, I got uh, Sandy, how did you get into uh, this line of crime? First off, I just want to thank those other 18 states for their bureaucratic inefficiencies. <laughs> also, did you say you say I was convicted in 22, found guilty in two? Yeah, yeah. Wait, what's the difference between convicted and found guilty? <laughs> I've, I clearly messed that up. I'm, I'm so excited that... <laughs> Wisconsin, Nevada, South Carolina, <laughs> that they just lost the paperwork. Um, yeah, I, I kept it. Uh, that was an intentional mistake on my part. Uh, I'm super stoked that. <laughs> why uh, Why do you remove seatbelts from cars? Why is that your chosen act of aggression? Here's here's what you have to know first off. Uh, call, can I call you Colin? Is that <laughs> you can. your preferred Christian name? Um <laughs> I think we have enough holding us back in this life. There's enough oppression. There's enough oppressive systems out there. The seatbelt to me is really a concrete manifestation of the overreach of the state. First, they come in. They tell me I can't do this in my own home. Now they're telling me I can't do that in my own car. It's it's enough's enough. Would you disagree? The seatbelt law is actually a national law. It is not a state law. (laughs) Uncle Sam. First off, when the British... Okay, let me go back. The ancient Inca had a saying. And I don't know what it was, but they they had one. And so, honestly, I'm about liberating. And I think that's something we can all get behind. Am I wrong? Well, there you have it. Sandy, the seatbelt remover, also a liberator removing unnecessary and arguably the most necessary safety features from cars. Of course, this is not the crime lab safety department. This is a little show Ryan and I like to call Bard to Death. Not the best intro, Rye. That was. I tried. I think the the central anxiety arises when the listener, you're you're just listening. You have no idea what the other person is going to say, and you're listening. You're like, how are they going to introduce me here, and yeah. what am I going to have to do? And I, that was pretty good. I was. <laughs> I also like how you're sticking with the alliteration from the first season. Sandy yep. the seatbelt remover. Mm-hmm. What was it? Sal- Willie Salami the window. Sam. Yeah, yeah. I'm Something an alliteration like guy. You're an alliterative, alliterative. No joke. Every paper that I turned in in college and seminary had a ridiculous title, and I would make sure that it was the weirdest, like the mystery of mendeloquence, or like just the weirdest thing. And the idea, my friends always make fun of me, but I just wanted, I just wanted it to pop in that stack of papers. <laughs> Jesus and the Jewish Jews. And you're like what? My, That's my, a stretch. I'm, go- I'm going for like the L Woods, like the pink resume with the perfume. <laughs> it's like my version of that. It's just make a ridiculous title your application video was just you in a bikini on like a, a floaty and they paused and they're like well he does have ex- excellent lsat scores <laughs> that's so funny also oh. no one asked you to send in a video i don't know why <laughs> yeah. l woods ever did that i know and she got her to harvard welcome um. back to <laughs> legally blonde weekly where colin and i dissect Our lbl um Welcome to BDD, BTD, BDD, BTD, Bar to Death. Uh, this is a podcast that Ryan and I host that hopefully you listen to. <laughs> That's the only descriptor I give. Um, and for season two, Bar to Death, we've got a lot of stories in the pipeline here. Uh, for season two, we are orienting our conversation around one word, one theme, 
that guides our conversation. It could lead to talks about different types of content, movies, books, TV shows. It could talk about um, our experiences with these things. We could talk about essays or articles, you know, quotes, things that we've read or found that we thought were interesting for framing these conversations. And each episode, the word, we're playing with a different word. Ryan prepares on his end um, thoughts that he has about this one word. I prepare on my end. We don't know what we're coming to the conversation with. And today, the word is... Trump. <laughs> We want this, immigration. <laughs> we want this uh, to be an inclusive uh, podcast, so we will be talking about politics for two hours. No, we are talking about sports. Sports, sports. <laughs> We're going sports. the ex- exact opposite direction. Um, and I, for one, am incredibly excited about this conversation because Ryan and I have di- a very different views of the world of sports and just experiences. And um, I'm really excited to um, hear specifically where where he's going to be taking us with this but ryan where do we want to jump in with a conversation about sports we want to start off uh 05 my performance uh (laughs) super regionals finals um i was all state at this time women wanted to be me men wanted to be me everyone wanted to be me that's the whole point i'm making here uh i was awesome what sport was it you didn't say yeah, it's all of them. Just so so many, so catch, much sport. Did you catch the game last night? Uh, which one? Any of them? Um, just any, any of them, really. They're all great. <laughs> what do we... I So I should say that sports have actually played a very big role in my life. Yeah. Which they're is, kind of unavoidable, right? They're kind of unavoidable. Um, going just back, I'm just thinking about... I don't know. I just feel like they've they've, in a lot of ways, like... Like, yeah, baseball, like America's pastime is a sport. Like it is very much embedded in our culture and was a big part in one way or another of my family growing up and kind of things we did. And I, it hasn't gotten, I'll be honest, it hasn't gotten, I haven't given it enough airtime in my life. Yeah. Cause I, I'm not typically a like quote unquote sports guy. Like that's not how I'm viewed. That's not how I operate. But I know, I know that you are. There's a perception Maybe. that sports are kind of one dimensional and mm-hmm. there are, it's often associated with like bro culture and it's just kind of mainstream America, Tostitos and beer and like mm-hmm. just kind of loafing on the couch and not really using your brain. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if that's what you let sports be, then that's what they're going to be. But I also think it's a pretty fascinating time because we are in this like post Moneyball era where sports mm-hmm. are incredibly cerebral. There's many layers there's obviously like an army of data analytics behind every time a ball is thrown mm-hmm. and everything that happens now, you know, has ramification across the globe because it's never been easier to access sports and like be involved in the stories behind it. So I actually haven't always viewed sports in that light, but finally at age 29, I finally am. And there's like this whole rich world behind what you're actually watching on screen. And I think we'll get to some of this. So, but I think yeah. the, the TLDR of it all is, I think there's many different ways of talking and, and understanding and thinking about sports. And we'll probably just scratch the surface here. Um, mm. But maybe a good starting point is kind of a, a, our simplest understanding of sports, which, which might be, you know, us playing it as kids. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, Okay, so what's your what's your childhood experience with being involved in sports? I feel like every kid I talk to is playing some sport um or some, you know, activity or you know, what do you what do you what did you do? What did you play? Dude, I I played almost everything. And I was I actually one of my first questions was to ask you it, like which sports you played in organized fashion. I played basketball, baseball, tennis, football, soccer, mm-hmm. uh golf. I think. Oh, I did cross country. I forgot about that. Wow. I I think I did everything at some point. And mm-hmm. the ones I played the most were tennis, baseball, basketball. Mm. Um, how about you? Yeah, same. I actually um, did a lot of sports as a kid. Uh, basketball, baseball, which is more like t-ball, I guess, at that time. Um, golf, tennis, 
Um, swimming is actually, I, oh, I, was, swimming. I was on the diving, not a team. I, I don't know if it was like, it was something organized with diving. I was young. Um, but I definitely remember like at the, the whack, the Woodlands athletic center, jumping off the high dives and, and trying to like learn how to dive. And you showed um, up in full scuba <laughs> <laughs> flippers. Are we going to uh, fishing? I'm going to throw fishing in there as a sport. Cause it definitely is. Yeah, um, it's a sport. Did that a lot. And then I'm going to throw this in. I wasn't ever super into this, but I felt I, I, I more of a question of, is this a sport? Uh, karate. Oh, that's definitely a sport. Something I definitely any... did as a kid. <laughs> If I say it's not a sport, anyone who does it can beat me up. So. <laughs> I got. I think I got to the yellow belt, which is right above white. I think um, that's that's like you showed up to three classes. <laughs> yeah. A huge part of it was like the Hershey's chocolate bar my parents gave us <laughs> if we went. We just got like a chocolate bar afterwards, so we were what? in it for that. Once you pay the registration fee, you get a yellow belt. <laughs> it was like, it was like, yeah, like your parents just needed a break on a Monday night. So that was like yeah. why we did it. Yeah. Every two- time I drive or bike by like a karate or, or <laughs> judo like place, they always have the big glass windows and they're always fogged up with just like internal sweat. <laughs> yeah. It's the steamiest place. You're like cooking pork buns. It's so steamy. I know. Like a sport that's entirely uh, centered around, of course, like a a real karate person would destroy me for this, but that's entirely centered around like, I guess, I guess I should say like fighting, but it's probably more discipline and self-defense and stuff, but, but you never fight. (laughs) You never fight. Yeah. It's like fight club. It's like you're in it, but you like can't tell anyone you can't use karate. But like, even if you're a black belt, you just avoid fighting at all times. Yeah, because it comes with this like Eastern philosophy, which is mm-hmm. pretty pacifist and it's do no harm, <laughs> you know, yeah, live yeah. and let live. <laughs> but <laughs> if I knew judo, I would just go around picking fights. Yeah, but when you're eight, you don't join karate to like be a pacifist. You, <laughs> you want to like karate it's... chop your brother's head off. And like, that's why you do it. Well, and it's like, it, that's really interesting because I do think that is one of the most powerful um, and really, frankly, spiritual like things I heard. I've heard it was from a karate person and they said uh a karate person i don't know a dojo master a A sensei a sensei i don't know um i just keep thinking about dwight senpai Um, Senpai. (laughs) oh thought that was your mom (laughs) well no he said this is really as profound like um you in in the world of karate karate you um know that if you are forced to strike someone then you have both lost Mm. And I just thought that was really profound. I was like, wow, that really just kind of stuck with me. That is that is profound. I definitely w- have never been mature enough in my life to <laughs> have that. Like, I would just put people in ch- chokeholds because they looked at, like... <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I would not I be a good steward of, like, any sort of real training. I would need years of cultivation before <laughs> learning how to chop a board. Yeah, yeah. The, um, yeah, sport I played the most, basketball and golf. Those are like the two. Played with my family, um, both of them. Uh, but like golf was all, I never played golf in an official capacity. I have, I have a story about going out for the golf team and trying to get on it. Um, yeah. But never played it in official capacity. Always played it with my dad and my brothers and like some friends. And then I did play did play basketball in official capacity. Oh, and football. I forgot football. I, I played football in, in junior high. Um, yeah. Which was which was definitely one of the most interesting like team experiences I've had. But what do you do? Are you still playing any of those sports? I'm not trying to. Fa- I'm fast forward, but <laughs> camera zooms out. I'm just like attached to the couch. I'm so fat. <laughs> I love. The yeah, meme. I, love- I mostly watch these days. I, lo- I love the meme of like during the Olympics that came out. That was like <laughs> me, on, me on me on couch with bag of Doritos. Like Olympian slightly stumbles on balance beam, and then it just like it goes back to me, and it just says, "What a loser." <laughs> <laughs> like watching the Olympics, someone messes up. Like you know, a, you know, Michael Phelps like takes a, like a bad breath, and you're like, "What an idiot!" And you're just sitting there. Guys, guys always do. Oh, she's not for me. <laughs> just like, yeah, we we would never work out. Yeah. Just like, yeah, no kidding. You literally would never work out, and then you also would never work out. <laughs> um, Are you still playing any of those sports? Which so one stuck? It's really interesting timing that you asked this i played sports my whole life up to and including college i did like club tennis even through college and then just kind of stopped um Mm -hmm. because you start working and then you know you move and 
when you get like may, you look down upon like the adult softball league you're like oh I'm definitely not doing that mm-hmm. that's some life milestone I don't want to hit but this past month I live like 5 feet away from a basketball court that your boy uh I think his name's Ethan um Elliot Elliot yeah I, yeah like, yeah randomly saw him on Instagram there Elliot, one time Elliot Kwan shout out yeah uh so literally that basketball court um, and I just started shooting hoops there cause I was mm-hmm. like super stressed from work and I love it. We just shoot there alone and really did not want to start playing with anyone, but there was mm-hmm. a group of seven guys. They needed an eighth to make it fours. And so I just started, uh, running pickup games. Next thing I know, I'm in a WhatsApp group and now I, you know, kind of know these people and like, finding myself playing a team sport again that's like semi-competitive it's not super serious but mm-hmm. also people do you know try and win and we're all kind of like you know we're all good we're not great we're mm-hmm. not bad um it's kind of been this nice renaissance this past month and it's mm. oddly enough one of the things i look forward to the most um i'm also super out of shape i realized how often do you play pickup ball with these guys do or two girls? or three two or th- there is <laughs> funny story yeah there's probably two or three times a week and there is uh she's like five five um one time there were only four of us on the court so we did twos and i was with her i think mm. her, her name's sam and she was easily the best person out of all of course of yeah. she just like whooped our butts and mm-hmm. i was on her team and she like still beat me <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know how that's possible and she steals the ball out of your hand while you're dribbling <laughs> turns out she plays college basketball but no um, way that's yeah, great she, she plays for a college I was like this makes sense can we talk about the level of anxiety when you're trying to shoot hoops alone i've been in that situation and then like a group of people are like hey we need another person would you want to play my, I don't know if there's any like thing more. I mean, how do you feel at that moment when you're like walking into a game, you have no idea about skill level. Terrified. Uh, right? Like it's one of the most terrifying things of like, I have no idea what I just got myself into. Dude. And we're like, you and I are, are tall. Mm-hmm. We're like normal tall. We're tall. We're obviously not like NBA tall. If we were in the NBA, we'd be the shortest people on the court. But, um, I'm usually the tallest person in every room I'm in as a, yeah, I mean, a six foot four. Yeah. In a game of basketball, there's probably one other guy who's like close to me, but he mm-hmm. usually weighs more than me. And so I end up having to guard this guy, but he can like push me around physically. Yeah. Because um, I'm not that heavy. So the along came Polly scene with the. Effectively. <laughs> Dude, a, a pickup game is the only time in life, maybe like a concert, but you go from not knowing anyone to mm-hmm. just be like covered in their sweat within yes. 30 seconds. You're just covered in all these strangers sweat and you're like mm-hmm. backing up against each other and mm-hmm. no one's questioning it. It's just like comes with the territory. Yep. Pick up any sport is like just immediate Darwinism. Like you just, the, the weak do not survive. Uh, like it's, I don't know. It's just, it's such an interesting experience. And, um, can be an incredibly terrifying and disappointing one and can also be an incredibly rewarding one. I think it's really cool that you do this regularly. Yeah. It, I think on a psychological, well, I mean, I enjoy it and I feel good physically after I'm like mm-hmm. tired. And once I started doing it, my metabolism was like running again. And I remembered what it was like to be hungry. I just like hadn't been hungry in five years. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it probably satiates some desire for like small group bonding, like an us versus mm-hmm. them mentality, like, a it has a very clear goal. Let's get to X number of points. Yeah. And let's work together. And so it's kind of this like tribal mm. feeling that is ultimately, I think, satiated. It's competitive. Uh, like, yeah. Like your blood's yeah. flowing. Like you're, you know, you're arguing about, you know, calls, you know, you've got the one guy that keeps saying that it was a foul when it really wasn't. I mean, I don't yeah. know. It's just like, it's very like, it's, it's, it won basketball, especially is like, I don't know. It's for me, it feels a lot like hockey without skates. Like it's, it's very kinetic, right? It's like Mm. sometimes it's poetry in motion. And the next time you're like leaning up on the guy, you know, you're playing post and you're trying to like roll off people and it's very physical and you like catch a bow in the face. And I I don't know. It's like this really interesting, like dynamic of, of something that moves very fast, but can also, um, be very, uh, you know, I mean, it can be very physical. It's elegant and it's brute at the same time. And you have mm-hmm. different types of players. And um, I'll save my kind of like theoretical rant for the second part of this okay. episode because I <laughs> okay. have a lot there. But um, uh, yeah, yeah. So that's been like at age 29, this this pretty cool renaissance. It's like 
it almost feels like I'm I'm hanging out with an old friend again, but it's it. just like it. a sport. Yeah. How how about you? Uh, you play golf, right? I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, like by no means a traditional like sports guy. Um, I do still play golf and I played this past weekend. I play regularly and, um, I have a really interesting relation. It's the sport I've played the longest. Um, I am slightly above average at golf. Um, I've have recently found out that most golfers do not break a hundred. And so if you can break a hundred consistently, you are in the, you are above average, uh, which is good for me because I can break a hundred consistently. Um, and I don't know, there's like, I have a really long familial, familial relationship with golf. It's definitely like a huge part of how I connect with my pops and my brothers. And, you know, I have two brothers and my dad, we'd go out and play golf and that's like your foursome right there. Yeah. And so we would, we did that a lot just growing up. And, um, I, I lived on a golf course, uh, for a long time growing up and the Shell Houston open would come through our backyard and we would same golf course, same golf. Yeah, too. that's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, the, uh, the old TPC course in, yeah. in the woodlands. Now it's the woodlands resort owns it. Um, I yeah. think it's called the East course. Um, yeah. or maybe it's back to being open. I'm not sure. Um, I think it is a, it is a, um, uh, a player's it's, course again, or it's the not. cheesecake factory Memorial <laughs> sports grass area. But yeah, I remember seeing like, um, golfers come through there and we would, yeah. my dad, like in his company, he would have like a bunch of people over and we would have like parties. And it was interesting. Cause as a kid, it was like, Oh, like your backyard. And for me, like the golf course was in a lot of ways, an extension of our backyard. Yeah. Um, like there's a pond on the, we lived on hole seven and there was a pond there. And so that's actually where I learned how to fish. Nice. And so there was like all these just childhood memories come out of this, out of the golf course, you run, the sprinklers come on at night, you go out in your swimsuit with other friends, you run through them. Um, it was very much an extension. It felt like an extension of our backyard and you ride bikes, you know, on it, you run through the sprinklers, you fish on the pond. Like it was, it was very much like this hodge, like in, we lived on a cul-de-sac and that's where all the kids like would hang out. Um, and then of course you, you would play golf if you, yeah. if you, you know, your your dad could teach you or whatever. And, um, your mom could teach you and, I still, I still play golf. Um, it's, it's, I love being outside. It's, it's, you're outside for four hours. You're off your phone. I stopped playing in college for a bit. I got kind of like, I think I just got a little tired of it, but, um, yeah, speaking of like picking things back up, I had a friend, um, in seminary who really like his, his dad had just started to teach him and, you know, like would go, we would go and hit balls together. And that's really when yeah. I started, you know, about seven years ago is when I really started getting back into it again. And, um, I don't know. My dad just always told us as kids, this is the only sport you can play for your entire yeah, life. That's true. He was very intentional about that. Like you can be a senior and play this until you're 80. And if you're walking 18 holes, first off, that's like, that's a physical feat. Mm-hmm. But even if you're, you're driving or pushing a cart, it's still by the time you get to that like back the late back nine. I mean, mm-hmm. swinging a club gets tiring. It's still a sport. I know it gets a bad rap, but it's it's a physically demanding sport. I think more so than than a lot of people think. Sure, and then you've got guys like Tiger Woods who are like essentially redefining the sport as like you right. need to be. Yeah, you've got like your John Daly, right? Who's <laughs> like yeah, just he's smoking and drinking. No, he's not winning. And then you've got your Tiger Woods, who I would say was one of the biggest like golfers who was intentional about fitness and would talk a lot about going to the gym every day, being fit mm. and, and how that can help you drive a golf ball 300 yards. Um, and yeah, and, and I'll also just say like the only other thing that I'm still do i i play pickup basketball every once in a while i'm a bigger dude i'd always i always just feel so i'm just so sore after like everything hurts it's so physical um but uh swimming and this is i don't do this on a team or anything this is more of just like i do it as a workout but uh my doctor was like you like just he's a swimmer and he taught he talks about it all the time for years he's been talking about it and i was like you know what i should give it a shot and so i got a membership over at the y because they cut to you at the hot tub you're like yeah this is great (laughs) just in whirlpool (laughs) that's so funny got the jets but uh man swimming jenny and the jets sorry (laughs) i know you're good I'm digging it. Like talk about, (laughs) talk about a sport that is simultaneously simple and incredibly complex. There are four strokes to swimming. Like that's it. There's just four. 
And if you learn one, you're 25% of the way there. <laughs> yeah, that's, except the problem is the fourth one, the butterfly yeah, is impossible brutal. to it's do. It's impossible. Yeah, I'm you not going to No one's that. done it ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I feel like I'm, I'm just now getting at a place where my freestyle is rhythmic and I understand the breathing. And I've been doing it just for a few months, but I've got to say I've, I'm really enjoying it. Like you, you put your goggles on, you put your earplugs in, and the world, I mean, there's no music, there's no headphones, there's no phone. I also lift weights. I've always lifted weights since, um, I played football and, um, and that I love lifting weights. That's always been like a therapeutic, you know, fun thing for me. Um, I did, I, I did a 5k like this past year and like tried to get back into running and I've, I've never been a runner and I've always like hated it. And for whatever reason, I've, much more comfortable and excited about getting into the pool yeah. at seven thirty in the morning to like swim a thousand yards than I am Dude. about going to going to run. Um, and I'm I'm not a great swimmer at all, but like it's been really fun to learn something new. And like it's like you know I, you can like I was I took lessons as a kid and I always like swam, but never like to try and like beat my time and you know swim laps and stuff. So it's been fun. Swimming is the only sport where the 80-year-old next to you is just torching you. And you're like, good <laughs> God, how yeah, did you do that? I think I'm just like ready to retire as like a 30-year-old. So I'm just like <laughs> investing heavily in swimming and golf because those Dude. are the things I can keep doing as, a, as an older person. For a year in my life, I was a member at a very expensive gym that cost like 150 bucks a month. Oh I am no longer gosh. a member, so I can tell, I can say that price. Okay. Um, can you 20, not if you were a member? Is there like a Fight Club rule? <laughs> it's a little bragging. It's like, I oh, pay okay. 150 bucks a month. I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. This was a, a one year of my life thing. They had, it was a really, really nice gym. Very mm-hmm. clean. They had three pools, um, two indoor, one outdoor, immaculately wow. kept. Like the place, the type of gym you really want to go to and work out in. And yeah. I, it, I would go at midnight and swim for an hour. No oh, one was dude, there. 20, 20, open 24? Dude, I, yeah, and there was something about going. Did they have a lifeguard on duty at midnight? No, I mean it's you know you sign yeah. up and you a liability gone. Uh, hope you hope you'll Jeez. live. But I know what you're talking about. You enter this like trance after you know you get in the pool. You you're cold, but mm-hmm. you warm up, and then you know by your tenth or so lap, you have these earplugs in. You're just listening to your breathing and mm-hmm. really only focusing on you know, what your next stroke is and you Mm -hmm. enter this trance like state and, um, emerging from the pool after a session was like being born. It was, Mm -hmm. uh, well, you know, not literally, but kind (laughs) of like being reborn. It was, uh, transformative. Well, yeah. And it's like, talk about, I've never been a morning workout person. Um, but that's just it, my, at our pool, of course it's like, I'm at the Y it's like 40 bucks a month and a pack of smokes. Like it's just, it's, (laughs) it's, you know, super bare bones, but they have eight lanes open from like, uh, five to six thirty AM and seven thirty to nine AM. So I get there like right when it transitions and I'm always able to get a lane. And it's like one of the only types of, um, for me, like I don't have to be loose to do it in the morning, you know, I'm still kind of, you hop in and you go and it's like, I've had nine, I've broken nine bones. So it's just like certain parts, like my elbow and my knee and my leg. And so it's just like certain parts just hurt doing certain things for extended periods of time. But I can, I can go as hard as I want in the pool and hop out and still like nothing hurts. It's just, you're floating the equilibrium. There's no, there's zero impact. And I understand now why my doctor was like, you're a big guy, you're a tall guy. Like you got to get into this. You can do this for the rest of your life. And, um, I'm always, I'm, I'm usually the guy that can do like four laps. Then I have to pause and like catch my breath. I'm really envious of the people there often who are, like you said, like clearly just veterans life. Yeah. Yeah. Who like just make it look like it's nothing. And they, they can go for 40 straight minutes without stopping. And I'm not, I'm nowhere near that place, but it's been cool to see like, like when I first did it, I could only go down once, like half a lap before having to stop. Cause you think you're going to drown. You get, you know, it's like, yeah. you're, you take a bad breath. You don't really know how to breathe. Suck but, down some chlorine. Yeah. And my breathing, what's really interesting is my breathing cycle is, is not normal. Um, a lot of people do like every third stroke, they'll take a breath, but I do every third stroke, then every other stroke, 
So it's like stroke, stroke, breath on the right side, stroke on the left, breath on the right side, and then stroke, stroke, breath on the left side, stroke on the right, breath on the left. I'm so out. It's like yeah, a, it's, I missed it Yeah, all. I know. It's, it's like three, two, three, two, <laughs> instead of- That's a drummer's way of breathing and doing <laughs> swimming. You're, well, you're such like, a musician. <laughs> well, no, it really does. It helps me keep rhythm. And because I change yeah. it like every other time, it helps me- Yeah. So the, yeah, so it's like I'm focusing Respect. on breathing well and getting the timing right, and then I just swam a hundred yards. You know, it's yeah. like anyway. That's awesome. I'm I'm by no means good at it. I'm very bad. And um, um question back on yeah, the golf. Sure. I don't want to. This is a. I can't think about golf without also thinking about anger. Have you ever <laughs> broken a club? I've never broken a club. Seriously, That's not I'm not that Zen, guy. dude. You're a karate guy. <laughs> uh, it's You're pronounced zen. dojudu karate. Um, <laughs> no, I, I'll tell you why. I wasn't paying attention once on the golf course as a kid. We were in the, we were working on like our chip shots and stuff. Yeah. And, um, my dad kept saying, you have to like check your surroundings when you swing a club. And oh. I didn't. And I popped Ken in his nose oh, on my bro. backswing. And I like, Yo. I like busted his face wide open and there's blood everywhere <sighs> in the sound trap, sand trap. And it was absolutely horrifying. And, Ever since then, th so that happened, and then I also, when my dad was teaching me how to drive a golf cart, which is not really a, a part of golf, but it kind of is, um, yeah. I put it in reverse on accident and backed <laughs> into his like Mercedes and like just shattered like a tail line. <laughs> like the first Dude. day he was, he was like trying to teach his kid how to drive just and messed it up immediately. So those, those two experiences <laughs> have been like, I just don't mess around on the golf course anymore. Yeah. My dad was you also like a stickler about etiquette. Like no phones uh, on the at the the hole of every 18th green. You take your hat off. You shake hands. Um, just all the little rules, like about dropping a ball and counting your strokes and things you should and should not do. Um, I I've, I still do, and I'm kind of a stickler about golf etiquette. Which is uh, a lot of my friends I play with don't have any sort of etiquette. They're just like <laughs> tear up the course. And um, what about you? Yeah, there's like a social fascism to golf. It's like a very unwritten code of conduct and you will abide by this or you will be a pariah <laughs> at the country. I mean, it's a literal country club half the time. So yeah, yeah. Um, I broke two clubs over the years, mostly <laughs> in my, like my raw teenage years. Yeah. Yeah. 14, 15. And I would just hit a bad shot and snap them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, then I saw someone else do it and I saw how unattractive it was and and frankly silly you're like what are you like you're not a professional golfer also you're never going to be good at golf the best <laughs> the best golfer in the world is not satisfied with their game it's just a sport you should accept imperfection yeah. strive for strive for improvement and keep your clubs yeah I, and i don't know what it is about golf and i want to talk about this when we talk about like spe like watching sports but it's one yeah. of the only sports that or maybe not one of the only but where a lot of i know a lot of people who like watch tiger woods swing a golf club and say i, I can do that I, I can figure out how to drive the ball 300 yards and we don't do that with other sports you don't watch michael phelps and say i can swim like he can like but for yeah. some reason when you watch like tiger like we just i i don't know it's just like it feels like maybe it's more approachable or, or they just make it look so easy or because it's not a team sport that maybe, um, I, I don't know, but it is interesting to hear. Like I have a lot of friends who like get a certain club because a certain pro uses that club. And it's like, yeah, it's like, dude, that's, I mean, it, that's going to fix it. You're yeah, going to fix your marriage. I played with a guy recently. I was like, I, was, I said, Hey, I usually take like one mulligan per nine. And you can take like, you know, like I'm gonna, sure this went over well. <laughs> no, of course I'm like, I'm all about etiquette. But for me, it's like, my dad was always like, you get a breakfast bowl. Like yeah. you can take, you can take two off the first if you want. And then I don't know. I think over the years, he just, as he got older, it became like, you get a mulligan, like maybe one yeah. per round or one per nine. And the guy was like, I, I, I don't take mulligans. And he was a horrible golfer. Um, I was far better than he was. And I was like, why not like you should dude like weird and i remember i i, I forget I, I forgot exactly what i did i dropped a ball not in the correct way and yeah. i was like he got on to me and i was like man like i'm all <laughs> i'm all about etiquette and like rate of play rate of play rate of play rate, rate of play, play rate of play <laughs> i'm all about rate of play and stuff but it's like dude i'm never gonna join the tour 
Like, yeah, I, I, it's I, too late. I get that I just dropped it at my knee and I should have dropped it at my waist, but like, which speaking of, they just changed it. You can drop it at your knee now. Um, okay. I should email them and let them know. But <laughs> no, there is something, um, I don't know. There's something about it for me. And like, I'll say this because I went out for the golf team. This is kind of a funny story. So I'm like, you know what? I've been playing golf for a while. I, I want to be on the golf team. And I was not very good at, this is a story about just how mental of a sport golf is. Like it's, 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 you're like under the conditions, obviously of the weather, you're playing outside. Mm. Um, it's a lot of people think that you can just go out and just be good at hitting the ball, but it really is about your mind in a lot of ways. And like, are you present? You know, like, are Mm. you, and for me, like that's where kind of the spiritual side of golf is, is it forces you to be present. It's technically like a three foot game. Everything in golf happens within a three foot radius of what you're doing with how you're gripping and how you're swinging the club and your stance. It's not about like, I'm going to try and hit the ball 250 yards down the middle of fairway. And that's what I'm focusing on. It's all happens. Your aim, everything happens in like a three foot radius. My dad would always say that. And, um, even when you read a green, you're, you're trying to figure out how the type of, you know, how you should putt a golf ball so that it goes 25 yards and ends up in the right place. But that all, all the mechanics of that happen right in front of you. So all this to say, I was not a very mental player. I thought you could just, you know, have a decent swing and go out. And so I show up to the tryouts and I get out like my driver and I was like, I, I can hit the ball really far and it's, it's not that straight, but like I can hit it really far and I'll never forget them saying we show up to this driving range that also had a, a par three course, Just happy Gilmore <sighs> style. I know, I know it, like it had a par three course attached to it. So um, par three course, every hole is like you have three strokes to hit it. It's just a much shorter course. The entire premise is it focuses on your short game, um, which is like your shorter clubs, your putters, your chipping, your wedges, shorter irons. And they had us meet on the range. So we all thought we were going to be driving the ball. They were going to be watching our, you know, iron shots. And they had us put our clubs away and uh, on the range, they had us grab our clubs and go play nine holes on this par three course instead. So it was like a total misdirect of like, meet us on I the like. range. We're going to watch y'all hit the balls. We get there, we show up and they say, okay, everyone go play nine holes of this par three and pair and pair up. And I went with Trey Cole. I'll never forget this. Oh, I know T. Cole. I know. Cause he played, I actually he played basketball. used to play pickup with him. Yeah. Yep, he, he was a great basketball player too. And I was another story about basketball with him as well, but we went together and I shot, so par on nine holes of a par three is 27. You get 27 okay. strokes. I shot, <laughs> I shot a 48. Okay. Because I fell apart. Trey, Trey was like, a, I remember him as a scratch golfer. He maybe had like a shot of 30. He was like a few over. So and you shot like a five on every <laughs> hole? Yeah. Like a double. <laughs> Not great on at tryouts, like, and I just I was so embarrassed. I wasn't good. I just thought I could. There wasn't a lot of people on the golf team. Maybe I could like weasel my way on. And Trey, like God love him, was so nice to me. Like he, but yeah, he just we both knew I wasn't gonna make the cut. And we just handed in our scorecards, and it was like that was it. Never got a call. Like I, I was, I was told. I think like a week later, it's it's not gonna Uh, happen. Dead last is brutal. (laughs) <laughs> just brutal <laughs> and i was like i was the, i was like i don't feel good about my short game but as long golf is entirely your short game it is entirely chipping and putting that's where all the strokes get lost exactly you anyone can hit the ball 300 yards but can you get it in a tiny tiny hole yeah that's another 75 yards away yeah um <laughs> per, per, uh, i want to make sure we get a little breath here yeah. on the topic of kind of social code, unwritten rules. I think every sport has them, some more than others. Mm-hmm. Um, like in tennis, for example, if yeah. you hit a slam that almost hits the other person, you know, like it, let's say they lob it and then you slam it and win the point. What's but a in slam your, in tennis? I don't know, like a spike? It, yeah, an overhead. It looks okay. like a spike, but it almost hits them. It's You're supposed to apologize. Oh, really? If you, if you hit a shot that hits the net and then trickles over to the other side. So you win basically because it hits the net. You're mm-hmm. supposed to apologize. So there's like You this still get hum- the point though, right? You get the point. Okay. But if you don't apologize, it's it's a very stern violation of the code. Wow. Um, then in baseball, it's less, you know, that makes sense because tennis is so polite. It's so mm-hmm. kind of old world, British, French. And baseball, there's all these 
kind of superstition rules. Like mm. you don't step on the the foul line, the, the mm. white chalk. You're supposed to jump over that. If you step on that, it's bad luck. Um, if a pitcher's pitching really well, like let's say they have a, a no-hitter or a perfect game going, mm-hmm. you don't talk to them between innings. You just let them sit. You know, that's why a pitcher who is pitch, pitching lights out mm-hmm. is always sitting alone on in the dugout. It's it's bad luck to talk to them. So wow. I'm really fascinated by this like superstition. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's about being polite. All these unwritten rules that you only kind of learn by doing. And if you break them, which it's very easy to break some of these, um, you're kind of quickly turned into a pariah on the court or the field. Interesting. That is really fascinating. And you're right. There is definitely like what is acceptable, what is not like the unwritten rules, um, which this may not classify. We might want to save this, but I have a lot of friends who are Cubs fans and it's interesting for them to talk about like the curses that have like, what's yeah. like the curse of the goat and then the Bartman curse, <laughs> the Bartman curse. There's yeah. like this weird kind of um, actually, so I'm a pastor as well. Right. And like we had like a, this like, uh, fall festival thing we do it every year and my first year I went as I just wore like a bunch of Cubs gear and people would ask me like what I if I like what I dressed up as even though it was obvious I would actually say a man of faith <laughs> so it's like the stupid pun about like there's good. yeah like to be a Cubs fan is to have a lot of faith because they of course they won you know recently but um, they don't win you've got like rookie of the year that was a huge movie growing up I don't, I don't want to jump into like movies and stuff too soon but um yeah, I don't know. There, There is this weird kind of like superstition, you know, people not, you know, wearing the same jersey while they watch every game. And I don't know. There's. Yeah. yeah I'm interested in that stuff, too. It's pretty it's pretty curious. Yeah. Let's bookmark. Yeah. Let's uh, bookmark. That, that actually makes me think of one other thing. But um, Can- I I want to touch on a, sure. a couple things um, and then maybe use them as an occasion to ask you a, a couple questions. Cool. If that's cool. Of course. Um. The first is is kind of a, a a quick, I think maybe touching story mm-hmm. about you know sports as an opportunity to learn life lessons, and I think we can probably draw some really trite parallels between like oh you learn about hard work and teamwork and all that stuff, and I think that's really important, and I think it, sports in that way can be really useful for young children to learn mm-hmm. how how to be a member of a team how to learn to lose how to not you know yeah. how to overcome and, and kind of fight through adversity but i remember in eighth grade i was i was always like a, a pretty good basketball player uh, mm-hmm. in middle school so i was the best person on my team but i was so hyper conscious about i didn't want to be a ball hog so my coach was always telling me to shoot more. He's like, you got to shoot 12 times a game. But I would end the game with like six points because I just never shot the ball. I always passed. I was like mm. too too afraid of being a ball hog. Yeah. Um, and in that sense, I was not a leader of the team. I've never really been a strong leader. I don't think of myself as a leader, um, probably because mm. I'm too much of a cynic. But <laughs> I remember we were we were losing a game and... We we're just getting blown out. Mm-hmm. And so two of the other guys on my team just started like, you know, chucking up stupid shots, you know, really? borderline, borderline half court, oh. absurd thoughts, like basically quitting with tons of time left in the game. Mm. And I let that, I let that dictate the way I played. And then I stopped playing hard and I took some dumb shots. And basically, Next thing you know it, most of the players are acting like they don't even care, even mm. though there's seven minutes left in the game. And there's nothing worse than someone quitting before a game is over. You know, you mm. want to finish finish with pride and, and, and dignity and respect the game and the competition itself. Mm. Um, I remember on the drive home, my mom lectured me. <laughs> lectured is such a bad verb there. My mom basically used that as an occasion to... I think she like used the word integrity. She's like, you know, that was wrong. And I basically, you know, you're in eighth grade, you're kind Mm -hmm. of a brat. You're like, you know, why is that wrong? We were losing. What's the point? Mm -hmm. And I I guess we weren't going to win the game at that point. I was right. I had an undefeatable, you know, argument in that sense. But what she was really teaching me was about integrity Mm -hmm. and the dignity and finishing strong, you know, uh, always doing your best regardless of outcome and, and like, <clears throat> you know, having enough respect for other people's time and, and, and 
there's a way you do something regardless of the circumstances around it. Mm. Um, and it kind of sunk in with me. I like, I was filled with the sense that I had done something that I wasn't proud of, mm-hmm. but it was really only years later that I look back on this moment as like my brush with integrity for the first time. Mm. Shout out, shout out mom. But, <laughs> um, yeah, man, that moment really did. Like, I think it's it's rare that we can point to moments and be like, "Oh, that's when I learned what integrity was." And yeah, yeah. I definitely learned that by being a bad sport. That's a great point. Wow, that's really beautiful. Um, yeah, that's that's fascinating. <laughs> I have a lot of like follow up questions to that. So, so what did did like the was it just like you and these couple guys or did your whole team just shut down in this case or was it yeah it was like you know it starts off with two of these guys and it becomes me and then you know mm-hmm. once you're in eighth grade once everyone's doing it you're like well yeah this it you know it, the least cool thing in eighth grade is to care about anything so <laughs> yeah. you basically adopt this like bam margera yeah, you know, mtv yeah. <laughs> attitude in 2002 mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and i don't know man did you uh, I, what I'm the story I'm telling is probably not super unique. I bet everyone has sure. had kind of you know some like sports ethics mm-hmm. s- story. But did did you ever feel like were you always a strong competitor? Did you always kind of play the games the right way? Yeah, that's a great. Yeah, so the short answer is yes. I just was never good. Brag about it. <laughs> no, so I, I actually even just writing out all the sports I have experience with. There's actually a lot. Um, I just was never really good at any of them. And for me, like one of those moments was, so in seventh, I played football in in seventh grade and I was on, which we call junior high in Texas. I'm, I'm learning that that doesn't exist nationally. Junior high is not a national thing. Um, but we in seventh and eighth grade, that's junior high. It's at Knox junior high shout out, went out for the football team. Uh, so this is like Texas football, right? This is like a big deal. And, um, huge, like hundred, hundred kid program, four teams. They had four teams, A, B, C, and D. And I was on the C team and okay. I, I was the center, um, on offense and then, you know, defensive linemen and would kind of play both, but mainly played center. And, um, I had a lot of fun playing actually. And it was fun to hit people. Like I, that was like when I started to become a little bit bigger, a little taller. And, um, there's of course like this team element there's, there's, um, they call it punishment. I don't know if this is like football wide thing, but, um, yeah, punishment was when someone, one of those 100 people screws up in school, um, or does, you know, gets, gets in trouble, goes to detention and the whole team gets punished. So this was like something Uh, that they did. So this was like a very, very much like a a conversation of ethics, right? Like, and there was something actually kind of exciting. This sounds weird, but exciting about this thing, punishment, because you, when you have four teams and you're on team C, like the team, it's hard to like keep morale up. Right. But there's something about, uh, like something very egalitarian about this one kid screwed up. And so now we're all going to, we're all going to do bear crawls on the field for, you know, yeah. 10 minutes and then a hundred up downs and then, you know, whatever else it might be. And it was always just like, I just remember thinking like, I hate this in the moment. This is like, I can't believe I'm having to like pay for the sins of somebody else, but there was something <laughs> incredible. Very Christian of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, I don't know. There's something. No, I'm yeah, just kidding. That's not, that's not, I didn't mean it like that, but um, that's Jesus's job. <laughs> No, there's is there's something very um you know like communal building about it like no no when you're especially when you're, you're in a the kid. trench yeah you're in the yeah. trench together and then they give you a water break and the water was literally a hose hooked oh. up to this like PVC pipe contraption that sprayed it never water never and, tasted sweeter uh, yeah and it's like there was like literally like this huge long PVC pipe where they just drilled they drilled like eighty holes into it and you just would grab an open one that had water spilling out and would just go put your mouth on it and would suck down as much water <laughs> as you can cattle it was yeah it was like cattle exactly and it was like like there was something very um cool about that and so yeah. played the team i end up i end up in off you know off season so football like happens in in um i'm trying to remember in school if it's footballs in the fall and then basketballs in the spring like how they broke it up um i'm pretty sure that's right so was on the football team and then went into off season which is like right you're like it's more of just conditioning and strength and stuff decided i want to go play on the basketball team so i go um 
end up switching the next year. So did football off season the next year. I start with basketball off season. I may, and there was an off season team. You had to make it. I try out. I like barely make the off season team and, um, you know, practice with the team, you know, do all the stuff. We're, we're heading into the season now. Games are starting. They have another tryout round. I don't make it. Uh, so I end up having to go back. So my eighth grade year, I didn't make the basketball team, but I it was and I was the only one to get cut and not make it from the off season team to the actual team. And there were again like tryouts at both points, and I, so I was cut. Just didn't make the cut. wasn't good enough. Go back to football off season. So for one year, I like was technically on the basketball team and the football team, and I didn't play a single game. And <laughs> I, I just remember thinking, why am I doing this? Like this is clearly not who I'm supposed to be. This isn't yeah. like where my, I kept trying to like, I just wanted to be, Oh, I, I completely forgot. I didn't put this there track and field. I threw shot, put in discus, same yeah. thing, like was on the off season team, like was good enough to be around, but never got to never competed. Just wasn't good enough. And it was like, I just kept jumping from like ship to ship to try and like <laughs> find my tribe at school. And, um, it ended up being a drumline that I really found. Yeah. I, you know, joined the band, ended up really loving that. And of course, that's all centered around football because you're like, you know, in marching band and, you know, you're on the field. And um, all that to say, it's for me, the lesson was I did have that feeling when I like, I still remember walking up to Knox. I know exactly what happened. And they posted the, you know, who made it and who didn't and not saying my name on the list um, after being a part of the team for so many months and i just remember the feeling of like Uh, this is not where i'm supposed to be yeah this isn't fun this isn't my calling yeah and it's like and and of course i was bummed but i I also like i just i just kind of knew like i like doing these things they're fun but i need to i need to stop trying to be i don't know i guess just that mentality of like a jock or whatever like i was always more into the arts and yeah. And being in a band. Yeah. So that's when like music really took off for me and like being in a, like playing in bands, you know, being in drumline. Um, like that's, that's when I really started getting into like, and then it was like, okay, once I got into a garage with like yeah. three bad musicians and this is back when like the, like, uh, only requirement for being in a band is like, do you have the correct gear? <laughs> do you have a place? Do you have a place? And I was a drummer that had a drum set in a garage we could use. So I was in the band. Um, and that was like, I just remember thinking the first time we like, j- I jammed with some friends. It was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm not supposed to be doing those. Other things. Yeah. All that to yeah. say, um, yeah, that's a great thing to bring up about that. And so for me, it was, you spend a whole year like being on these teams and never playing a game. It's, uh, yeah. you, you're, it's not for you. Yeah, dude, getting cut. I kind of do wish it upon everyone because it it's terrible, but it does kind of f- force you to go. F- you're like, okay, well, what else? Like what now? Mm-hmm. What else? And oftentimes that's when you find your passion. Um, yeah. I've been cut and I remember it it just sucks. It's miserable. But I also remember kind of wanting to be cut because I was like, you know what? I kind of want this time back. I don't actually, I don't actually, and and it it happened at a time when like the level of competition was taking on a seriousness that I just didn't feel. I was Mm. like, I I don't feel this kind of fierce foaming at the mouth competition that the guys around me feel. Yeah. And so maybe I should go find something else where I do feel more passionate about. Um, Yeah. I was, I was later to get into music, but once I did start jamming and playing in bands that, that took a lot of that place. Mm. Um, Now I'm at a point where I think music and sports can kind of like mutually coexist in my life. Yeah. Um, So I'm grateful for both, but Mm -hmm. I actually think it can be a kind of morally enriching experience to get cut because it, it is a it forces you to go find your new tribe. It does. It absolutely does. That's a great point. And I think for me, like there were so many people around who were like, I wanna play I wanna play varsity and then I wanna go play college. And it was like 
I just remember at one point being like, dude, we're in, we're in seventh grade and we're on the <laughs> we're on the C yeah. team. Like we're not go we're not going anywhere. Like I'm trying to get a scholarship. <laughs> yeah, working on my scholarship. I'm like, no, I, I'm I'm trying to make friends and I'm trying to like be outside. Impress and, that girl. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing else happening here. <laughs> yeah. I've got nothing going for me. So if I can like put a helmet on and just like have the football hoodie, like that's enough to like wear exactly. it around school. <laughs> like, you know, and it's I don't know. It's um I do remember like the time commitment, not basketball. There was definitely a commitment, but for football, it was, Ugh. we had to be there, especially because of the heat. We had to get there at like, at like five 30 in the morning and oh, you, yeah. you practice for two hours and then it switched to, um, afternoon. So it was like two hours before after school every single day. And it was like, it just, I remember being exhausted, like yeah, just limping through the day if you had it in the morning or just dreading it all day. Like I got to go be, be outside in like hundred degree heat and like with full pads. And, um, I actually did get bit by a brown recluse spider when I played football. Whoa, bro. Yeah. Got bit get by a brown, brown recluse. Had to. Made had out to, with spider. <laughs> so my football pads, I remember like the gym, our, our, um our locker room had staff infection and they had to like shut oh it down. God. And, like, it was just, yeah, it was just like, those are, those are no hygiene. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But one thing I am incredibly grateful to that time for is it, I, it, they taught us how to lift weights. And that was like the first time in my life where it was like, cause like, it was, again, it was like, that's something you can do for the rest of your life. Like yeah. every person of every physical caliber should be in the gym, you know, moving their body in some way. Um, whether that's on, you know, a row machine or a squat rack or whatever. And so it was like, yeah, learning how to bench press for the first time and learning how to like spot somebody who's bench pressing is like, I don't know, to me, it's just, I've, I've been always grateful for that of just like technique and cause it can be an incredibly intimidating thing to walk into a gym and have no idea what you're doing. Um, I remember being on the, I was on the tennis team in high school and we would lift weights occasionally, but the few times we did maybe like once a week, I would look across and you could see right into the other weight room in the the high school. And this is Texas 5A, mm-hmm. you know, big, shiny new school, yeah. massive weight rooms. And you could just see the football team lifting, just like beefy, corn-fed oh, Texas boys. And, and just, just the loudest, like metal music The, the music was, yeah. was what scarred me. And yeah. our side, we had like... <laughs> Ira Glass and like a podcast <laughs> and on their side it was like blasting two chains yeah and I was yeah just, yeah I was like can we go back outside into the 105 degree heat please where I'm yeah. comfortable <laughs> yeah yeah dude that's so funny it was, we were listening it was to like scarred. Harry Potter on tape uh, <laughs> <laughs> damn it that was a better reference than mine no that I liked yours that was great um I, I want to keep us on time for maybe yeah, 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, how have we talked for almost an hour about this thing? Dude, we got to talk about one thing. We okay. got to talk about a lot. But before we kind of wind down part one, Texas football, it's it's an environment oh we gosh. both grew up in. We both mm-hmm. were like, it sounds like I was never really involved in it. I played one season when I was like in third grade. You played a little bit longer, but in high school, mm-hmm. like Texas football it was king. Like it was. like that show Friday Night Lights would suggest, mm-hmm. but you and I existed on the periphery at best. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to start with you because you were really on that periphery. I was basically non-existent. When I, when I played tennis, I do remember walking from the school to the court and um, I would pass the, the band, the marching band mm-hmm. in this massive open parking lot just and you had like a massive like bass drum. Am I remembering this correctly? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I marched bass drum one year in uh, drumline. Yeah. How the heck did you do that? It must have been the hot 120 degrees. Oh out my god, it's brutal. Yeah, uh, I yeah. The one time at band camp bit. That's definitely a bit that I understand. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was it was uh, nuts. I loved um, music, and my mom forced me to like take piano lessons as a kid, and. Um, then my piano teacher actually died. True story. RIP. Um, Whoa. Yeah. And that was like kind of a weird experience to have like a piano teacher you like as a, as a kid. And then you like, didn't really want to do lessons. And then she like passes away and then you're like weirdly, was she old, she was an older woman. Yeah. You, but you like uh, weirdly feel guilty. You're like, Oh, I didn't really want to come here. And like, it's like I was that I, bad at the piano. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I killed her. Uh, and I remember she would always, like, I said F sharp. <laughs> 
she would always get me uh, water. She would be like, do you want any water? And I'd be like, yeah, sure. And then she would always bring back water. And every single time. Her dentures were in it. Sorry. Even better. Even better. I'm sorry. Every single time that she brought back uh, water to me, there was cat hair in it. Oh, and I, and I would just bro. sip. I would just sip on water with through cat hair and wouldn't say Dude. a word. Wouldn't say a word. Anyway, sorry. I'm jumping into like the mu- the music conversation. But anyway, um, BYO. That's why you always had your camel back with you in high school. You're BYO. Like, I bring my own. Dude, band, for me, drumline and that, which was of course all centered around football, um, because like you would like march at the games and stuff, was such an interesting communal experience and like. Uh, I had a lot of friends in drumline and that's where like we, there's, it was a big five, a school and I forget how many people we had in drumline, probably like 30 or 40 kids. And so there's like kids dating each other. It was like, there was like the social element to it, but there was also this, like, it's like kind of athletic, but kind of not. And then like, it's, it's very, it's very musical, but you're also like moving and coordinating and you have these pageantry. um, Yes. Pageantry. You have these coordinates. You have a coordinate book that you have to memorize exactly like it's set up on a grid right and so you have to memorize like i'm going to c3 and then i'm going to f7 you have to remember where you're going battleship like yeah like (laughs) oh my destroyer exactly and this is while you're playing right this is while you're trying to remember the song and everything and so um but yeah i I don't know texas football is definitely king and um for me like on friday nights being at those games was always a lot of fun and i always enjoyed uh watching basketball far more than football um because you can just see the players more you can see their faces their expressions like it seems a little bit more personal but um yeah i don't know and it's it's interesting to read and hear about a lot of what's happening with with the the NFL and just football and I know a lot of parents who are not letting their kids play football. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know to what extent that's happening in Texas at all, but, um, yeah. And yeah. the heat, um, you know, it's always there's always heat strokes and yeah. You remember Junction? I, you remember Junction Boys? That old movie about the Texas A yeah. and M in like the sixties and yeah, yeah. I just remember, I just remember them like bringing in ice bass and they were just like in the movie they were just like based on a true story, which is dump kids when they passed out into an ice bath and then they would like come to and like get back on the field, right? Yeah, yeah do two a days. It was like militant. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I just remember because I, I did my first year of high school in Connecticut, which is a totally different culture. Mm-hmm. It's basketball, it's baseball, it's lacrosse. Yeah, um, yeah. And then I moved to Texas, and it, it was like that movie Friday Night Light. I, there was just no exaggeration there, and yeah. it was the first time I had really, I think, just from a cultural standpoint, encountered something so dominating. And and you're in high school, so you can't really put things in true perspective yet, mm-hmm. and I just saw the way that the football player, like it was like a, a movie. It was a cliche. The, the the star football players were gods walking around the high school. Like I think we could still, you know, ten years later, name five guys who <laughs> yeah. who were kings of our high school and and were kings of the football team and captains. Mm-hmm. And to exist on the periphery of that did cause that inferiority complex. That For is, sure. you know, codified in like John Hughes movies and like Anthony Michael Hall characters and yeah. uh, 16 candles and stuff. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, and I think that there's, um, I don't know. It's just interesting because there's such an emphasis on what can you do in high school? Like what can you do performance wise? What can you do with your body? That is, that really like in a lot of ways has nothing to do with your mind. Like the things of your mind do not get celebrated in high school, right? They get made fun of. They get made fun of. And it's, it's just interesting because those are the things that just matter. Like in the real world, like um, those are the things that, that uh, of course, like these other things matter. And I, um, I do believe like um, as a pastor, I had someone say recently like, Hey, I'm so sorry. I missed, you know, whatever. So I work with young adults. And he said, I, I was playing softball and like, I do softball on every other, whatever. And I said, I said, Oh, I said, that's, that's fine. Like, I mean, that's softball is important. And I think that like, if that gives you life, then you should do it. And he was just kind of confused by my response that I wasn't like, why, why didn't you come to this or that? Like you were <laughs> playing softball. Like who cares about softball? But yeah, I don't know. Just that, that, that term, even like, uh, recreation, like recreation, um, is how I read that. Right. So like you have this like whole creation narrative and the fact that like, um, you know, that we, that we are beings. And I don't know, I I feel like that when you, when you are playing golf or playing football or doing what, playing pickup basketball, whatever it might be for you swimming, that there is, there is something very, um, 
that you are being recreated in some way. And if that feeling when you get out of the pool or off the court and you feel new in some sense yeah. and like you're, you're, you've used your body. I think, I don't know. I, I feel like for me, like faith and spiritual spirituality was always meant to be embodied. And, um, this is, this is why you have this story of like Jesus showing up in the flesh, right. In the body. And, um, I don't know. So for me, it's, it's, I see those things as incredibly valuable and spiritual. And I think, there, it is an interesting conversation to hear about like, like people having severe brain damage long-term. And, um, I've, I've been watching the show. Um, well, I don't know, maybe we should, we should hold some of the, some of the content stuff for later. Yeah. In the why don't we, let's do that. Well, um, man, we covered a lot there. Again, we just scrape, scrape the surface. Um, but let's hit pause before we, we go to part two. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us what you what what sports are you into? Like, what are you are you a spectator? Do you participate? Have you been like doing something your entire life? Um, what tell tell us tell us your funny stories? Like, have you been cut from a team? Tell us. I want to know that story because those are always my personal favorites um, and the ones I have the most experience with. Anything else, Rye? No, I'm sorry for trashing adult softball leagues. If that's your thing, good. <laughs> enjoy enjoy and i don't want to be invited um i'm really just waiting to be invited to one at which point i will say yes that's Um, so funny (laughs) no let's let's break for now Mm -hmm. and uh in part two we will yeah hit us up next week we'll meander a little bit away from childhood maybe get more into uh you know watching sports some of the ideas that we associate with sports uh, maybe some content around sports there's a bajillion sports movies out there so Mm -hmm. um stick around and we'll see how the conversation morphs i love it all right see you guys next week later 9 p.m with street lights it's never too late to readjust your seat sit back on coming headlights Your power cords don't mix with insincerity You're my luchador in Spain so call me if you need me